With the news media covering increasingly more news about data breaches and security and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor, we are here to help you mitigate potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello, and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the 32nd episode of my show. I use my show to help raise the awareness of information security and privacy risks and issues, and I also really love to provide listeners with practical tips and actions to help improve information security, hey, and also to better protect your privacy. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Google Play, Overcast, TuneIn, CastBox, or whatever your favorite podcast or news app is. And subscribe to my show on the Voice America Business Channel site. I want to give a special shout out and hello to the UK, Ireland, and Singapore, where I have thousands of listeners and where my listening bases are currently the largest after the numbers I have in the USA. So I appreciate you very much. And actually, I appreciate all of you, of course, and all of the other countries that are tuning in. Please also check out my websites, Symbus360.com and PrivacyGuidance.com. And I'm also now teaching live online IAPP privacy certification classes. So if you want to know more and are interested in arranging some of these, just let me know. Also, if you're interested in being a sponsor or advertiser on this radio show you're listening to right now, please get in touch. I've mentioned before that I'm preparing to give a keynote and workshop in the Philippines. And I'm planning to get up close to some volcanoes in the area, as well as visit some historical sites. I have on my bucket list visiting all seven continents. And I have just two to go, Africa and Antarctica. So if any of you are from Africa or southern South America, where it looks like it has a pretty close access to Antarctica, and you need help with information security or privacy, get in touch. My September Privacy Professor Tips message was published at the end of August. Did you get yours? Well, if not, please sign up for them. They've always been free. You can sign up for them by going to privacyguidance.com and submitting your email in the box in the upper right part of your screen. And please send me an email. Let me know who is your privacy hero in your work or in your personal life. I'm recognizing privacy heroes in my monthly tips messages throughout 2018. Today, my tip of the week relates to authentication to your business accounts. Now, one of my credit card companies provides alerts and information whenever my personal information has been found online, particularly in the dark web or the deep web. 
I recently got notice that three of my old email messages were found in the dark web. Now, one was from a LinkedIn message from 2014. One was from a Yahoo email message from 2015. And another was from a Facebook message from 2014. Now, the emails themselves did not include any personal data beyond my name and email address. So that's good. My credit card company that provided these alerts gave some recommendations for me to change my passwords for those accounts so the cyber crooks could not be getting into those accounts with the passwords that were being sold on the dark web that gave access to those messages to begin with. Now, I was not worried, though, because I make it a practice to change all my passwords at least once a year And as soon as I hear an organization I have an account with has been breached, I also then change that password right away. So I wasn't really too worried about current access to those accounts because as soon as it was possible to use two-factor authentication for them after identity verification uh, was there, um, I also then implemented two-factor authentication. I also had changed my identity verification information since since those messages were originally sent so that someone could not have capability to call to the associated organization's contact centers and provide my correct identity verification data. So here are my tips for today to help you to protect your own online accounts from being accessed by cyber crooks. Number one, use two-factor authentication for all your online accounts. If you have some online accounts that give access to sensitive data, such as your financial or your health data, and they do not allow for two-factor authentication, then let them know that you want them to implement two-factor authentication to better protect your data. The call center should have procedures in place to take such requests from you and pass them along to the organization that they're doing the work for. And number two, choose identity verification information that the crooks will not be able to find online and that others, even your friends, relatives, and coworkers, will not know if you don't want them to pretend to be you. Now, stop using your birth city, your mother's maiden name, and other information that is now found in many places online and is still too often used for identity verification. If you must use such types of information, then choose an answer that's not factual, but something that you can remember and then only you will be able to use to verify your identity. Today on my show, we're going to discuss the security and privacy issues related to business processing outsourcing or BPO in general and the security and privacy issues related to contact centers in particular. I mentioned at the top of the show that I'm speaking at the Data Privacy Asia Conference in Manila, Philippines in just a couple of weeks. 
It is taking place on September 19 and 20. Addressing security and privacy for outsourced vendors is a top concern of organizations throughout the world. And certainly, more and more organizations are outsourcing their call and contact center business operations to third parties. Now, there are many key issues to address when considering contracting contact centers, such things as access controls to personal data, ensuring compliance with the legal requirements that the organizations must follow, how caller identities will be confirmed, like I had in my tips, like um, breach response practices and details, and many more issues. I get a lot of questions about these topics for my own Simbus Tracker Plus clients who are establishing vendor management programs. And I'm so happy to have the opportunity to speak today with two longtime experts with deep experiences and achievements in the BPO area to address many of the questions that I frequently receive. And, you know, I'm really excited to speak with them before I meet them in person at the Data Privacy Asia Conference to get their insights today, not only in these areas, but also as well to learn a little bit more about the goals of the upcoming Data Privacy Asia Conference. As, um, pardon me, Espy Bolsico, and I'm, I'm so sorry if I'm pronouncing your name incorrectly, um, is Senior Director for Business Excellence at Hinduja Global Solutions, or HGS, and currently the Learning Series Task Force Lead of the CCAP Security Council. ESPE has more than 20 years' experience in quality management system and information security governance. Now, under her leadership, HGS became the first contact center in the Philippines to be certified not only against ISO 9001, but also for BS 7799, which is evolved into ISO 27001, a feat that has really earned her and HGS much respect in the industry. ESPE is a longtime advocate of data protection and privacy standards, and ESPE helped set the standards of collaboration in the Philippines through her pioneering work of bringing in premier and global thought leadership conference uh, during CCAP's first and biggest data privacy and cybersecurity conference in 2017. Tonichi Perik is the country manager at BoxPro. Tonichi is an experienced vice president with a demonstrated history of working in the outsourcing offshoring industry. Tonichi is skilled in business process re-engineering, health insurance, operations management, coaching and business development. And Tonichi has also played a key role in the upcoming Data Privacy Asia Conference in Manila. Please see my Voice America Business Show site to see even more about both of my guests. Espy and Tonichi, thank you so very much for being my guests today. Welcome to my show. Thank you so much for having us, Rebecca. We're really excited to be here. 
Well, it's great to have you on. Um, I was wondering for both of you, uh, you know, a lot of people have questions about contact centers and also the associations uh, that exist for them. So can you tell us what is the Contact Center Association of the Philippines or the CCAP, you know, their mission, what do they do, and how many members do they have? All right, I'll do. I'll take that, Rebecca. Um, actually, we call it here as um, the CCAP, so it stands for the Contact oh. Center Association of the Philippines. It's the umbrella organization of the Philippine contact center industry. Um, we, the CCAP, serves as a focal point of sectors that enable the Philippines to sustain its leadership in the global contact center industry. So from having um, seven original founders in 2001, CCAP is now comprised of nearly 100, well, 100 member companies operating in various strategic locations in the Philippines. Um, these members account for more than 70% of the revenues and the workforce in the industry. And CCAP is a nonprofit organization and as such, we promote awareness of the contact center industry, active exchange of ideas and uh, new, new technologies, best practices and innovations, and the sustained growth of the industry and the country. Wow, it sounds like uh, it's grown quite quickly then, uh, very much thriving. <laughs> so, so how much of the worldwide business process outsourcing or BPO industry in general is the contact center portion of this industry? And how much of it is performed within the Philippines? So globally, um, last I checked, it was... Um, Hovering 15% of the total global market is actually being serviced in the Philippines, and about 70% of that service is um, of the BPO service concentrated on contact centers. Wow. So, what are your goals for growth then? I mean, you've already got such a large portion. Uh, do you have goals for growth beyond that? Um, right now, we are approximately at around 1.3 um, million work BPO workers, so that um, mm. that is all encompassing for BPO. Um, from 2016 and to 2022, we are projected to grow at around 8.2%. So um, it has slowed down quite a bit over the past years, but it's still continuing to be a growth industry for us. So what are the common industries then that you provide services for, you know, it, financials or healthcare, retail? Uh, do you have any that you have more that you serve than others? Um, so I've been in this industry for about 15 years. And um, what has been, you know, very popular are the telcos, banking, financial services and insurance, over the recent years, it's been healthcare and manufacturing, but more recently, um, we have been uh, been servicing like high tech industries as well. Ah, sure. Mm -hmm. As we get a lot more IoT types of devices and cloud yeah. services and so on. Exactly. Exactly. So what countries are you looking to expand into? I mean, there's so many countries throughout the world that has these types of businesses. Uh, do you have any plans to go or 
get even uh, bigger growth in any particular countries? Well, we have been really focused on North American and Canadian clients. Um, But over the past years, we have seen significant growth in the Asia-Pacific region as well as Australia. Um, More recently, uh, we have seen like um, aggressive growth over the European countries as well. Ah, okay. So with with all this growth, I mean, it sounds like you're thriving. Um, there's a, a great need for your service. So as I kind of gave information about at the beginning of the show, security and privacy certainly do come into play, right? So um, what have been some of the challenges within the contact center uh, and the BPO services in general organizations within the Philippines within, uh, with regard to data security and privacy? Um, I wouldn't say challenges. It's more that we hope that we had put more focus on educating and informing the workforce ahead of time. Um, what we have seen was that over you know many many years ago, we have had like privacy policies, security policies that have been already in place, but it um, we, we almost just ad- adhered to it. It was like a checklist, a piece of paper for us to sign. Um, but now it's really more around you know making sure that everybody in the workforce understands what it means for them and what it means for our customers that we serve. So does that mean you do a lot of uh, training and ongoing awareness communications? Yes, definitely. So like I mentioned in the past, we've had, you know, very robust trainings that's um, provided for specifically by our clients. So it was really more around um, the companies that we serve that um, those trainings are being passed on to us. It wasn't as proactive as what we're doing now. So the good news is that because this is such a big thing and it has evolved into such a huge um, endeavor for us, uh, we are more proactive in terms of making sure that the training is more robust, that um, the Filipino learner is quick to um, address and identify um, data privacy issues. Well, that's good. That's that's really great. And I think a lot of um, my listeners, you know, there's so many new laws and regulations throughout the world. And... I think a lot of listeners may not be familiar with the fact that you have the Philippines Data Privacy Act there, right? So um, can you maybe provide an overview of the the Philippines Data Privacy Act? Uh, You know, what does it require? When did it go effect? And, um, you know, why is it important for other countries who are considering using BPOs to know about that regulation? All right, um, let me try to um, give you a quick stab at that as a consumer. Um, And it is so overall, it's like the law of the new millennium and the digital age that aims to address crimes and concerns that have evolved, brought about by the evolution of technology. So from here on, I will quote um, some of the things that I've found in the date, the National Privacy Commission's website because I don't want to make a mistake um, because the lawyers might beat me up. So this <laughs> act um, are, aims to protect the privacy of individuals while ensuring free, free flow of information to promote innovation and growth. Um, it regulates the collection, recording, organization, storage, updating or modification and retrieval 
consultation, use consolidation, blocking, erasure, or destruction of personal data. And lastly, it ensures that the Philippine complies with international standards set for data protection through the National Privacy Commission. And SP may want to add to that. Uh, yeah. Hi, everyone. Okay, um, Rebecca and Tunichi, yes. Um, from, uh, I, I'll, I'm going to walk you through two forms. One is a theoretical standpoint and one is practical standpoint. Okay. So what we're looking at is, yes, as mentioned by Tonichi, Data Privacy Act was coming to law last uh, August 2012, and it was enforced through the uh, implementing rules and regulations last uh, August of last year. So um, what we're seeing here is that the Philippine Data Privacy Act and its implementing rules and regulations are, of course, governed by principles of transparency, legitimate purpose, and proportionality. Of course, these are covering the personal data processing. So what I'm saying here is simply put, this means that the organizations that process personal data must be upfront and explicit to data subjects about the scope, the purpose of them processing these activities. While there may be some legitimate grounds for processing personal data, the, the scope here of personal data is that for the organization, the processes must be commensurate to such grounds. But on a practical standpoint, um, we have uh, principles that are mani manifested through the act according to the specific uh, organizational uh, requirements, the contractual requirements of the client, of which we have to uh, implement physical, administrative, as well as technical measures. Um, this is actually, we have to apply this all throughout the life cycle of us handling the personal data as data processors um, of our clients. So example would be under the collection stage, the data subjects must be given notice or must be informed of their consent um, before we obtain their information. And when we get this information, it should be within a reasonable time for us to be able to process that data. And also, uh, there's also explicit requirement of the act that we have to make sure that the list of requirements of informing the consent, including the scope of the personal data collected, as well as process, um, the purpose should be very explicit. So what we're saying here is that we're not just processing, we have to also make sure that when we use or retain those data, it must be consistently be protected. And there should be also some critical way for us to identify if these are what being uh, accessed lawfully or um, are the users uh, really authorized to access those personal data. So there are some measures such as encryption, um, also data protection principles, uh, processes, and of course, the most basic is for us, as mentioned by um, Tunichi a while ago, we had some critical requirements in terms of how to comply with the um, Data Privacy Act, wherein they defined five uh, governing principles Namely, one, we have to make sure, I think this is also aligned with the other um, laws of other jurisdictions wherein we have to make sure that we do conduct privacy impact assessment, that's one. We have to make sure that we also create our privacy management program. And um, we have to make sure that 
we consistently implement data privacy and security measures and ensure that we do report breach should it happen. And lastly, I'm not 100% sure if this is applicable across all other jurisdictions, but here in the Philippines, it's a requirement that we do have to appoint our data protection officer. So um, as a summary, Data Privacy Act actually is designed not just for government, but also for the private uh, sectors. Wow. So what you described sounds very comprehensive, and it seems like it aligns very closely with uh, so many other data protection regulations. Certainly, as you were going through the requirements, a lot of them, of course, are within the GDPR. So that's that's really great that it aligns pretty well there. Actually, Rebecca, um, 60% of it, I think, is aligned with EU GDPR. In my opinion, 60% mm-hmm. of the Data Privacy Act. And as confirmed also by our commissioner a while ago, um, 60% and the other percentage would be aligned also to other um, Asia-Pacific laws and regulations. Yeah. Great. Well, you've got a, a good head start then on uh, meeting compliance with all of those requirements. Uh, but we're up on time for a break now. So uh, thank you so far, Tonichi and Espy. We're going to be taking a quick break right now to hear from our value sponsors that I do appreciate so much. We're speaking today about contact center security privacy practices and legal requirements. And we will come back and also talk a little bit about the Data Privacy Asia Conference in Manila. Speaking with Espy Balsico, Senior Director Business Excellence at HGS, Tonichi Perrick, Country Manager at VoxPro. I'm your host, Rebecca Harrell, Privacy Professor. You can contact me with questions and comments about this show, as well as topic suggestions using my email, rebeccaherald at rebeccaherald.com, and also my website, symbus360.com, privacyguidance.com. Please stay with us. We'll be right back after these important messages from my sponsors. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy, and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyprofessor.org. Rebecca Harold and Associates offers information security products, privacy, and compliance tools, education, and consulting. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages. She has published since 2007. Visit privacyprofessor.org for help and answers to your questions. Have you heard about Symbus360.com? The Symbus system includes information security, privacy, and compliance management, policies, procedures, and forms, third-party and vendor management, training and awareness, 
breach response and management, employee tasks and assets management, and risk management automation. Simbus also offers Alien Vault Unified IT Security Management at reduced pricing and also cyber liability insurance with limits up to $25 million. You need to find out more about the Simbus system. Visit Simbus360.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on the Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold. We're speaking today with Tonichi Perrick and Espy Balsico about contact center security and privacy. So let's continue with the conversation. Now, before we had our break, Espy was talking about some of the important requirements that the Philippines Data Privacy Act has with regard to security and privacy and how it aligns with a very large portion of the GDPR and other international data protection requirements. So, Espy, you know, one of the things that a lot of my clients have had struggles with is just even trying to determine what personal data is, you know, the specific types of data items that comprise personal data. Is that something that when the the uh, contact centers are working with their clients, do the clients usually give them a good definition of personal data so that they know how to respond to requests for access to personal data from callers? Okay. Um what we do, Rebecca, is that normally we refer to a contractual um, agreement with our client. And most of the time, there's no exact definition as to which are the personal information or personal data. So what we did is that we have to refer to our privacy management program because the basic requirement here in our organization is that when we have a contract, we have to make sure that we understand the context. We establish the context of that specific contract and do conduct not just a risk assessment, but with the new law, we have to conduct a privacy impact assessment, wherein we have to make sure that we understand the business. That's number one. We understand the profile of the customers that we will be handling and using those requirements we have to conduct not just a risk assessment a while ago but a privacy impact assessment wherein we identify we conduct a data inventory and using that as a reference 
we have to make sure that each um, stakeholders that will be handling this information will be part of that privacy impact assessment. Post the part of the privacy impact assessment is that for us to be able to make sure that there, we identify the vulnerabilities as we handle, as we process, as we store this information, there should be adequate protection already as part of the design stage. So during the transitioning in states, prior to the service delivery, there is already an accountability attached to whoever will be handling those information. So if we see some risk, you mentioned earlier that does the client provide the personal data, not 100% of the time. But we have a very strong mechanism as to how to identify that. And if we see some risks as we handle this, even if it's the risk is within their environment, it has to be defined in the privacy impact assessment. And the risk should be accepted by the client. And we go beyond that. Even if the client accepts that, because we see the impact to our reputation, it has, if the risk appetite is high, it has to be accepted also by our top management. So that's actually the end-to-end -end process in ensuring that, yes, we may not identify the personal information, but we have adequate mechanism already to process and to understand the level of risk prior to us implementing or prior to the delivery state. You know, that's... Oh, go ahead, Tonichi. Um, you know, when you talked about personal data, I'm happy to hear that you're, you're um, referencing in the absence of a definition, because it sounds like you're probably getting some companies that don't have a definition mm -hmm. of personal data. And I'm not surprised by that, because a lot of my clients just don't have a definition, which I'm always saying you need to define what's considered to be personal data. So uh, it sounds like you can help to guide oftentimes your clients perhaps in doing that very important uh, task into understanding what personal data is because certainly if you're dealing with their uh, their customers and their clients that's a very important thing to be able to answer questions for any of the the, the questions that they're getting that you're answering on behalf of your um, your organizations that you do work for. So uh, do you find that there's, for the companies that have this defined, personal data defined and how to do destruction and so on, do you have to find that there's many differences from one company to the next in how they view personal data? There's a commonality, Rebecca, more than the difference because we here in the contact center industry, we do handle um, different levels of personal data. It's not just the uh, basic, but we do most of the time handle sensitive information mm -hmm. like healthcare um, information. So um, we have a commonalities in terms of uh, the critical sectors like healthcare, well, and financial, but other than that, it may be, a, it really is a challenge for us to really make them understand that, hey, we have also an equal accountability as a processor. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, we have an accountability to you because you're the controller and we have an engagement or a contract to protect. So for other uh, industries, like as mentioned a while ago, um, healthcare, financials were pretty much aligned, but some services, Tunichi mentioned about uh, manufacturing, about some um Services such as marketing, these are it, it may it, it's initially it's a challenge, but because mm-hmm. we have uh, an agreement that we need to really revisit eventually before we start an operation, as we it has to be imputed already as part of our agreement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that uh, I'm wondering too. You know, a lot has been written um, in various published articles and so on about location data. And you know GPS and and tracking data. Um, are you seeing more of your clients considering telling you that they're considering that to be personal data too, or is that really not an issue? At least not yet. It will always boil down on who really on accountability, Rebecca, mm-hmm. because regardless of the type of service that the clients would require. We, we have to make sure that we have a common understanding as to, number one, the environment as to where this information will be uh, processed, will be stored. Will, so it, it, regardless of the technology also, the capability, what is critical is, you know, that's the advantage of EU, EU GDPR from the um, design aspect of it. We should be able to already identify your requirement and the vulnerabilities and the threats so that um, we will be able to come up with the common controls. If It may not be that common, but an agreed controls, which will mm-hmm. be part of the agreement. So for us to be able to be protected, there's a provision of we, we have to make sure that we're identified or there's a provision for a common um agreement as to which level should be uh, adequately protected, how much would it cost. So this will already be part of the business costing should Mm -hmm. there be some limitations on the initial uh, business uh, contracting state. So that's that's the flexibility of of our industry and Tonichi's, of course, uh, being 15 years in the industry already and me being uh, 20 years. we are, we're pretty much flexible as to what to cater to as long as we have an agreement on the capability of each other, uh, the vulnerability of each other, and of course, we make sure that there's always always some risks that's conducted should we see it as a new um, vertical for, for our uh, industry or company. Well, I'm happy to hear, you, you know, you mentioned at least once or twice about context and considering that. And I love that because I think too many times just general organizations who uh, often, you know, have direct access to their own customers and so on, um, oftentimes they don't think about context when it comes to personal data. So I love to hear that that is, uh, sounds like a key Um, element in your privacy management program. So I think that is uh, really great to hear. And also, you mentioned doing PIAs. 
And I'm wondering, um, because of the differences that you describe between your different clients, does this mean that you do a, a different PIA for each client or do you do like PIAs for your primary processing uh, that you do and then maybe do additional PIAs for specific clients if they have a, a, a vastly different type of business that, than what you've uh, supported before? Mm-hmm. There's, um, that's the advantage of having the Data Privacy Act, Rebecca, because it's there's a prescribe or there's a minimum requirement already um, that we have to really comply to. But prior to that, we have a very robust risk management process already, being most of the organizations, BPO in specifically, are already certified against uh, ISO 27001. And apart from that, we are familiar with the ISO 31001, which is the risk management process. Uh, process or guideline that we also have to, to implement. So the PIA is already in, we, we just need to incorporate or integrate the privacy impact assessment. How? By ensuring that we also qualify the personal information as an asset. So the process really is if we use to um, assess or analyze the different information of our clients, not specific to personal data, and also the mechan- the, the equipment that you and the processes where these uh, assets are, you know, are passes through. The difference now is that we're looking at personal data as mm-hmm. an asset, and we use the same mechanism. The only difference is us making sure that we recognize this personal data as an asset, which are equally or not equally or even more important in terms of the level of us analyzing the threat. Mm-hmm. Why? Because of we have to be also updated now on the global concerns, the limitations of the cyber landscape. So these, these are all key requirements that we has to be part of the um, analysis up mm-hmm. until the treatment process of us conducting the privacy impact assessment, right? Well, it sounds like you've put a lot of work and thought into doing the privacy impact assessments or PIAs mm-hmm. for my listeners who hear us using those terms. Um, but, you know, and I, I love that because P- – Doing PIAs is not something that a lot of organizations have even done yet in many parts of the world. Um, And so, you know, when you're thinking about risk management and security and privacy, not, you know, what do you see that sets, uh, that differentiates what you're doing maybe from other parts of the world or maybe um, other areas that, that you're seeing is perhaps a security or privacy mistake with call centers or maybe um, just general risks that need to be addressed that oftentimes are not in throughout the world? Rebecca, I think for me that the most common or the, the challenging that we really need to address are those that are not within our control. 
So we're looking at um, this could be the third parties like the sub processors because uh, although we, we have a, a, an agreement that we need to also comply to your visibility as to how they consistently adhere to this um, agreements. You don't have uh, enough visibility and that's where the risk would take place, right? That's the challenge. So what we do here is that we have to make sure that whatever we have, it should be part of the contractor before we even engage these subcontractors or subprocessors rather, the third parties. I think for, for any BPOs, that's one of the, the common, the, the most challenging aspect of it uh, because we're directly accountable to our processors. However, if we de decide to also sub-process our processes, then we have to make sure that, you know, we have an equal or data sharing agreement that attached to it. And also in terms of incident management system, I see it as an equally important because we have already a law. There's a specific requirement as to how long should you be able to communicate or report an incident. And if should a sub-processor commit an, an, a possible breach, Mm -hmm. We have to also have, at least, we should be able to be informed and for us to be able to inform the controller. So I think it's more on identifying um, processes that are not within your controls and I, uh, making sure that this is part, again, I'm going back to my initial primary governance framework, which is the privacy impact assessment. It should always be part of the privacy impact assessment. And we have our... Um, Top management uh, risk appetite, we call it the acceptable risk um, for, for them to be able to have also enough uh, say as to how they will support any initiative that we have. Like if we see some risk with our sub-processors, then we recommend a process, a control. Mm -hmm. Then we have to make sure that we have an equal support by the top management, of course, and the um, overall head also of that sub-processor. So I think it, it's really identifying which is within your control, which is not within your control, and if it's not within your control, subject it to uh, risk treatment and um, risk acceptance, depending on the level of uh, the costs associated to it. So that's, that's the overall life cycle of us handling those challenges also, Rebecca. Yes, and I love that you mentioned about your executives providing strong support because that's always so important for a successful risk management program. Now, before we get uh, any further along, before we get to the end of the show, um, I want to talk about the Data Privacy Asia Conference. And I know, uh, you know, we're going to be talking about these things at great depth uh, during that conference, that two-day conference. So what are the goals for the Data Privacy Asia Conference? if uh, one or both of you can maybe provide that. So let me just quickly go through that, Rebecca. Uh, the Data Privacy Asia has set the expectation for a stronger and bigger conference in 2018 because last year we held it in Manila as well. Um, last year was um, mostly exploratory, but because of the overwhelming response, we decided to hold it again this year, this time um, for two days. Um, this second conference aims to provide 
a stronger content in terms of both breadth and depth of topics discussed. So the conference objectives are really to deliver greater insights and lessons learned from the other geographies. Um, A portfolio of international speakers such as yourself will greatly benefit conference participants because the audience can increase their understanding of how global issues are impacting local implementations and take those lessons learned back to their organizations. Then um, they also aim to provide implementation guidelines and solutions since conference participants are looking for in-depth implementation guidance, guide, guidance to help them put in place their data privacy and cybersecurity frameworks and programs. Keeping in mind, Rebecca, that these um, topics or um, things that we want to discuss are coming from feedback and recommendations that we received from last year. So this specifically demonstrates that the Philippines is serious about accelerating their maturity in data privacy and cybersecurity. And lastly, uh, we'd like to increase audience diversity across sectors. Last year, we were really focused on um, inviting BPO executives, BPO uh, members. Um, This year, a greater audience diversity creates a more enriching experience for the conference participants. So the audience can hear different points of view and build stronger networks within the data privacy community. Oh, great. Well, you know, as far as topics go, you you gave a good uh, overview of the topics. Like I'm going to give a talk on ethics trust and uh, how they relate to privacy and then I'm going to talk about data mapping but I know there's many other topics that are being covered as well what do you see as some of the the hot topics that some of the attendees are really you know looking to get a lot of good information to take back and actually start applying within their own organizations Uh, Probably, and SP may add to this because she has been more engaged in the development of the agenda, but probably um, questions around what challenges uh, you have encountered or or what you have seen in other companies who have been trying to move into this paradigm and culture shift to a more privacy-focused service. And SP, did you want to add anything to that? Yes, uh Rebecca, it will also evolve around cybersecurity and in terms of the topic that you you asked a while ago and the expectations since, you know, we've been successful during the year one, right? It was Mm -hmm. practically attended by almost 400. So um, we're looking at a higher expectation in terms of us not just providing an awareness, but already providing solutions. Mm-hmm. So each yeah. of the speakers, Naman, we, we should be able to um, provide as to how to best uh, guide them as we face some challenges on both the local and the other uh, regions, uh, regulations, uh, specifically the EU GDPR. And the, the, the summit will not just focus on our industry, it actually go beyond the BPO. So we have, we're looking at like 70% or at 80%, right, Tunisia? I think 80%. Yes, 80%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So will be nine BPOs. So you can just see how diverse the, the attendees oh. are, Rebecca. You know, so it 
creates a higher expectation in terms of, as mentioned by Tunichi, the content, the knowledge that we will be sharing and the solutions that these international speakers like you will be sharing to, to our. And this is the differentiator, really, our ability to partner with um, Data Privacy Asia will always give us the strong um, expectation already that yes, data, data Privacy Asia partners in CCAP, so we expect international um, uh, professionals like you who will be sharing your best practices and as well as how do you best interpret the law and based from your um, long engagement also by not only to our industry, what would be the most pragmatic way of us being able to not just consistently uh, comply, but being able to also grow our business and our clients and eventually our organization. Oh, great. Well, we have with just about one minute left here, um, if one of you could tell me maybe what you want our listeners to take away from the show today about the Philippines BPO industry uh, in general or call center business in particular and how they're addressing privacy and data security requirements. Okay, so um, BPO industry, Rebecca, is such an integral part of the Philippine economy. We have worked so hard to grow this industry and we got to be the biggest service provider in the world because of that. And we'd like to continue to be in the forefront where data privacy is concerned. We are endeavoring to be the experts in this region given that we have an amazing opportunity presented to us. So our strategy is to get everyone well-educated and informed. We started that last year with everything data privacy, then work towards enhancing our existing programs to ensure a foolproof program. So this is the reason why we have been so passionate about bringing this conference in Manila. BPO is serious business to us, and in order to keep us with the times and the evolution of customer service, data privacy and security is definitely serious business for us too. So if you could invite your listeners to please join us, whether you're an expert who's excited and passionate about sharing insights on data privacy or a business leader who wants to know more about data privacy, evolution, or just an inquisitive mind who wants to be prepared for the need to protect and preserve our data. Hope you guys can join us. Excellent. Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much uh, for being with me today. Um, Today I've been chatting with Tonichi Perrick and Espy Balsico about contact center security and privacy and the Data Privacy Asia Conference in Manila, Philippines on September 19 and 20. I'm Rebecca Harold, the Privacy Professor, your host. Please tune into the show each week and I urge you to notice and stay aware of the security and privacy issues as you go about your daily activities, go to your job, do your daily work or encounter anything else involving your personal information and how it's secured. Until our next show, please ask those you do business with and who you work for if they are doing all that they can to secure the information you've entrusted to them. Be privacy aware in the week ahead. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. 
Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, stay safe.